Welcome to episode 116 of Running Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Hudfield, and today I have the pleasure of chatting with dual Olympian and Australian half marathon record holder, Brett Robinson. Brett is the only Australian to ever tip under 60 minutes for the half marathon, which is an incredible achievement. He's a 210 marathon guy, uh, been to the Rio and Tokyo Olympics uh, for the 5K and, and now the marathon. So we get to chat about his uh, yeah, change, change up to the marathon from the, the quicker distances. Uh, he's also a coach with Pulse Running, so incredibly knowledgeable about yeah, all, all things training and competing. He knows his, his body inside and out. He certainly had his issues with injury and, and I guess dysfunction in terms of yeah, some, some different issues with his, his marathon running. So some interesting stuff to chat about there. Uh, and, and we get to chat about his tilt at the London Marathon, which is next month. So we chat to Brett all the way from sunny London. Before we get cracking, I'd like to thank our podcast partners, Ranella, Raid Light, Fractel, Gaimi Allied Health, Basecamp Altitude, Goo Energy, Cronulla Beer Co, Running Matters Coaching and Code Nutrition. I'm certainly enjoying AR Cronulla Beer Co. Easy Tiger through the interview. Delicious. Without further ado, we'll get Brett on the line. Enjoy. Okay. Welcome to the show, Brett Robinson. How are you, mate? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, no worries at all. Speaking to us over from sunny London, what's the weather like? <laughs> it actually has been, um, I've only been here a few weeks, but it's been the best weather I've had in London. It's uh, actually warm for once. Like sometimes when you're in London, it's middle of summer and you're still wearing a jumper and, and trackies like <laughs> when you're walking down the street, but uh, it's really hot and humid here for some reason. I don't, don't know what's going on. Climate change maybe, but potentially. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm hoping. Uh, yeah, well, I'm hoping to be honest, I hope by the time uh, London marathon comes around, it's uh, cooled down because it's a bit warm right now for a marathon. 100%. Back to 10 degrees, please. That'll be perfect. Yeah, 10 <laughs> degrees, no wind, hopefully. <laughs> and um, how, how's the build-up been to London, Brett? Yeah, it's been good. Um, this year, I spent a lot of my time in Melbourne training. Uh, I did the, kind of a lot of the road, road, road races there with uh, Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast and the uh, Sydney Harbour 10K, um, just kind of as, as lead-up races to that and and they were good like i won all them and and was feeling pretty good the uh kind of in the half marathons i was kind of using it as feeling like i was in a marathon just trying to get into a rhythm instead of really like i didn't try to smash times but like i just tried to make sure i, I win and just like feeling good doing it mm-hmm. um and then i yeah came over to london a couple of weeks ago ran a half marathon on the weekend and um I came fifth at Great North Run and like all, all the guys in front of me are like world-class runners. Like like one was a world record holder, one was uh, Kennedy Super Keely. So it's um kind of come fifth in that field. Means I'm in good shape. So I ran 62 minutes there and um, yeah, kind of a few more weeks of training, but yeah, going confident going into London. Unreal. Wow, that's exciting. Um, yeah. We'll take it back a few years, I guess, before we get into some London stuff. So grew up in Canberra playing soccer. How are the juggling skills these days? <laughs> terrible, terrible. Oh, when I ever um, get a yeah, see a soccer ball, my like 
give it a kick here and I'm like, oh, my hammy, my hammy or my ankle's sore. So I, uh, I don't really do it anymore. But um, yeah, yeah, grew up in Canberra and just yeah, pl- playing soccer, which kind of gave me that base fitness for um, being, a, being a good runner as, as a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and you had some sort of early mentors in Philo Saunders and Marty Dent. How was it training along those guys early on? Yeah, and um, it was great. Like with them, I, I, was, I was kind of, I had a coach that um, moved away and then Phil and Marty said, I'll oh, just come and train with us. So I like jumped in with them and just I kind of, they were two guys I looked up to as well um, just because, yeah, at, at the time, like they were just these guys who were just running so quick. And, and um, so it was kind of, yeah, like a huge honor to be able to, to train with them. And um, I learned so much just, yeah, from them. And Phil actually became my coach a few years later as well. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, two two guys that kind of helped me get get to where I am. Was it pretty daunting sort of starting out with a bloke like Marty Dent in the group? Definitely. And, like, I would look at his times and I'm just like, I can't comprehend how someone can run that quick. Like, and, um, and like, like yeah, and, and now I kind of run those times and I'm just like, yeah, like, back then it was just like so crazy how um how, how fast he could run and um so yeah but the, he was like really great and he just kind of because he, he he was like a really good junior like i was as well so he could kind of like t- talk to me about that and then like kind of take me through the, the steps i needed to do to kind of make it in the seniors nice not to have to make the same mistakes twice i guess that's good uh, definitely. And like, I think a lot of people kind of, if they don't have that direction can easily like go down the wrong path and, and yeah, like you, you see the amount of people like that I was running with when I was like 16, 17 and like barely any of them like run anymore or, or like, or, or after a few years like that, they weren't really yeah interested in it or, or they weren't running near as good as they used to. So it mm. definitely helps having some like, yeah, mentors like that, they can kind of hold you back, but also push you at the right time. Yeah, that's unreal. And certainly it's helped with your longevity, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, I guess fairly early on, you moved down to Ballarat with two of Australia's best runners in Collis Birmingham and Ryan Gregson. And what do you think you, you learned from these season pros so early in the career? Yeah, I was uh, yeah very lucky again. Like I, I was just kind of mates with um, Grego um, just because he was, he was one year older than me, but um, so I'd kind of raced him a little bit and just, and just knew him. But then I um, went down to he said to me, he's like, oh, I'm moving to Ballarat. Like, if you want to move with me, you can. And I was like, I have to take that opportunity. Like this guy had just run 331. He, he was like been to the Olympics, like made the semifinal. Like, he was the best guy we had. And I was like, yeah, okay, I can't, I have to take that opportunity. Like I didn't want to get to the end of my career and be like, oh, what if I didn't, like, what if I moved to there and didn't, and didn't get to find out how I went. Um, but yeah, as soon as I got there, I pretty much, because I was kind of heading the more longer distance, I, followed Collis like whatever he did I, w- I was doing like if he went to the cafe and had two coffees I'd have two coffees pretty much like that's what it was like like I was literally his shadow and I just um yeah and then, and then like, that's when I started working with Nick Bidot as well but pretty much from an early thing Nick like sent me this thing about training and and just how it's you got to think of it as like a real long-term thing like mm-hmm. I was only 20 at the time and it's like you got to this isn't just going to happen overnight it's like a real long-term thing and training it a high level but it's at a level you can sustain like week in week out for a long time and yeah and i think that's what i just got from training with like Gregor and Collis. like you just it was hard training like i was like <laughs> i remember after a couple of weeks i'm like what have i got myself into like i was just like buggered but um 
yeah, it was just week in, week out, just doing good quality training. And, um, and then you start seeing that. And I actually improved really quick from that. But yeah, you could start seeing those benefits. Yeah, yeah. And look, it's a pretty big leap of faith at 20 to, to jump into that process. Were you confident that you could make it as a professional runner at that point? Yeah, like, um, yeah, I probably didn't really know, but I just wanted to at least have a crack and, and, and see. Um, like I was lucky I had like a little bit of support from a sponsor and, and my parents helped me out. So um, I was kind of able to, yeah, put, put all my eggs in one basket and just see how it went. And yeah. And I, I was just very, very fortunate that it kind of happened pretty quickly. I started getting results. So you could kind of see, yeah, this is like the right path. So I could, yeah. it kind of gives you motivation to keep trying. Yeah. Unreal. And mate, look, most of the share houses I've ever stayed in get pretty loose at times. Um, how was it to keep the balance and, you know, not, not have those extra couple of beers on a Friday night? Yeah, well, uh, I think we're all pretty good with that. Like, it's uh, Grego is like a very switched on and just like whatever it takes, and um, is happy to go. Right, I'm having no social life now for six months. Like that, that's fine. Where where Collis was a bit more of that balanced, um, which I think works for me as well. Like we were happy to. Um, me and Collis actually started playing golf um on a every Saturday and probably play once during the week and then once on a Saturday like we'll go and play golf and like have a couple of beers on a Saturday although and I think that that kind of worked for me get you do need that balance because otherwise it's just like yeah like I said it's like relentless training but if you're not doing anything outside of that it's just you've got no kind of way to blow steam off so yeah, yeah that's got cause was definitely good with that yeah, good. Yeah, definitely a good mix, mate. And so not like, yeah. a, not like the normal share house, though. It's not like a normal party share house for sure. <laughs> some vague recollections of university, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you were training under Nick Bedeau, you know, fr- from that early time. So how does Nick's coaching style contrast with your previous uh, approach with Philo? Then? Yeah, so Philo, we did a lot more um, shorter reps. Um, kind of on the track doing some really hard reps. Like I like I could run a really good 800 when I was with Philo. Mm-hmm. And when I kind of went with Nick, it was definitely more just like threshold-based, fitness-based. Uh, my long run, like I went up to two-hour long runs. I started running 150, 160K a week, where with Philo, I was probably more like 130, 140. Um, it was funny because the sessions with with Philo were probably at times harder, mm-hmm. um, where we've – Nick, I'd say they're a bit more controlled. Uh, like threshold, I remember we feel like if I we do this like lap of this lake, it was probably like seven or eight k. We'd do that threshold, but threshold was literally let's see how fast we can run today. Like, and you're running PBs and stuff. Where where <laughs> with Nick, it was like all right, you're doing previous to probably ten k, and it's like this is the pace, and it's it was a lot easier than than usual than than I used to do. So, um, and that's kind of like what you need. You need that proper if you're going to do threshold, you got to do it right. Otherwise you're not getting the exact benefits. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just kind of stopped doing the real hard track sessions, which I think is good for my body as well. I, I would just pull up sore and get a lot of injuries where I kind of stopped getting those injuries when it was a bit more controlled, even though I started running uh, mileage wise, started running more. Yeah. 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 It's so interesting how the different definition of threshold gets thrown around too for so many different people. Like, yeah, exactly. And like, area. I see people like doing, doing threshold and they're blowing up doing threshold and i'm like if you don't want 20 minute threshold shouldn't be blowing up you're just going too hard if, if that's what's happening so it should be a, pretty, a fairly controlled effort 
Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, look, I, I was just watching a clip recently on the MTC guys. They were talking about you guys as being nomads. So you were, you know, living in Melbourne, Falls Creek, London, over in the US, training. How good are you at packing a bag these days? Oh, I'm terrible. I'm. I'll tell you who's worse is Stuart McSwain. Like, I'm in sitting in a room right now, and I can we. We're, uh, we opened up a bag and he's like, oh, this is all my stuff. He'd like left a suitcase here and he, like years ago and he hasn't realized. He, he takes about 40, 50 kilos overseas every year. And uh, but yeah, I'm, it, it has been a lot of years of living in, out of suitcases. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, after a while, it kind of gets pretty, pretty annoying. But um, yeah, I have, a, I have a lot. I bring a lot of stuff and I somehow leave a lot of stuff as well. <laughs> I think you can be forgiven that much moving around. Do you, do you still love being out on the racing and training circuit or do you prefer, prefer the comforts at home these days, Brett? Um, I, I kind of prefer spending more time at home now. I, I used to love it. Like in my like earlier years, I, I would literally spend, some months I would spend like nine months overseas, like spend more time overseas than I would actually in Australia. And I, I used to love that. But now I'm like, I kind of like training at home. I like, uh, yeah, doing my runs from my house running from with my friends in melbourne and stuff and like i've got a dog in melbourne as well so i kind of miss him when i'm away um now that i do marathons i spend a lot less time overseas which is good um like i've i went to america for probably two months at the start of the year and then i'm away now for six weeks but that's kind of all, all i'll be away this year which is good um got to deal with the melbourne winter which sucks um but yeah, it, it is good being at home and just kind of being settled and, and not living out of a suitcase, living out of a, a cupboard is nice. Unreal. We were talking to Elsie Wellings a couple of weeks ago and she's made a similar transition, obviously, from sort of 5K to, to marathon. And she was describing it, it it's much easier to organise yourself. You've got this sort of 12-week block of marathon training and you can sort of camp where you need to camp, but you don't have to keep racing all year. It's a bit easier. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I don't race near as much, which is, which is good. Um, so you can, yeah, you kind of can plan out your year a little bit better, which mm-hmm. is, um, which is always handy. Cause uh, there's some, so, yeah, some years when you're in Europe, you, you don't know when you're going home, you don't know what the next month holds. And like, it depends on how you go in this race is if you get into this race or if you, if you qualify for world champs, then you might be doing that. If you don't, then what do you do? So it's like, it's a lot of, you kind of just plan it week by week where in the marathon it's you know you, you got this half marathon here which would be a lead in for this one and that'll be a lead in for the marathon so you, you kind of know what you're doing mm-hmm. and easy to plan a couple of holidays here and there as well yeah definitely is especially you like because you do a marathon and then you know you got a, a good amount of time off so you can uh get away for a nice trip on the beach or something sounds good so, mate, by, by the time uh, Rio Olympics rolled around in 2016, you'd had some significant success in running, but can you describe the emotion of hearing your name read out for that first Aussie Olympic team? Yeah, it's funny. I've, uh, yeah, I have talked about this before, but I um, – because, like, I'm surrounded by Olympians. Like, everyone I trained with were Olympians, and I just, like – and I just knew, like, when I was get when I was became like a pretty good runner, I'm like, yeah, I'll just go to the Olympics. And then I like qualified for the Olympics. I'm like, yeah, cool. And then I actually, when I got told I was actually selected, I was like, holy shit, this actually like, I kind of like felt something. I was like, wow. Okay. I did like, I didn't think it would be like this. Like I just thought it would be, yeah, no worries. It's just like, this is my job. Oh, this is what I'm do. But I actually, yeah. But then I, when I actually, yeah, it was announced that Olympic team, I was like, wow, this is actually kind of 
my life goal and I've, and I've finally done it. And it didn't really hit home until it had, had actually been my name had been announced. And uh, yeah, it was kind of a special moment. Mate, it's unreal. So good that you can get excited after, you know, going to world championships and doing all that sort of stuff, but it means something. More. Yeah. The Olympics is definitely something bigger. And I think it's just like, when you're there, it's so funny because you're getting messages from people you went to primary school with and they're like messaging, like they all know, like where world champs is like the same standard of competition, but like no one cares. It's like, no one cares about world champs, but, but then when you're at the, like compared to the Olympics, no one cares. But then, yeah, when the Olympics is everyone's just like knows what's going on. Everyone's watching, tuning in like, Hey, when's your race? And yeah, which is, so it makes it so much special. It creates like 20 million instant experts in running too. It's pretty awesome. It definitely does. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Funny. Mate, how, how intimidating was it to line up with blokes like Mo Farah and Bernard Legat in the final? Um, do you find you can focus on your own performance amongst those guys or is it a bit tricky? Um, I've always been one that's like, I don't, I don't really get nervous or anything. I've um, always been pretty like cool, calm and collected and just like get out there and do it. And like I ran well in the heat. And obviously, yeah, like I just, I was fine mentally going into that. And then I would get more nervous for like a smaller race than a big race, because I guess like in a small race, they're all eyes on you. You're, you have expectations where in these races, you kind of just like, I think I finished my seventh in my heat. And it's like, no one even is watching me. Everyone's watching the, the front couple of the guys. So you're kind of hidden a little bit. So you can kind of just like get your job done and, and not really worry. Um, and then going into the final, the hardest thing I found was like backing up mentally again, three days later, especially when it's like, for me, getting into the final was like such a huge achievement. And then it's like, all right, now let's do that all again. Like put in your best effort again. So mentally, when you already kind of feel like the job is done a little bit, it's hard to then try to get up again. But I remember going out, before going out, onto the um onto the track we're like standing like under the stadium and like legat and mo were just like joking around and like they were so calm like they were just yeah like they're happy to talk to people just relaxed and that kind of like made me feel a bit relaxed as well because i'm like these are the guys that are like like this is medals for them mm-hmm. and and they're just joking around like just it's just another day another race for them so i think that probably probably gave me a sense of like all right let's just calm down and do do the try to do my job the best i can yeah unreal and, and i guess it's a great lesson like for future races there's no reason to get nervous about bloody anything after that surely no yeah exactly and i think like it's it's funny that people get into a race and yeah like all they change all these things like start thinking differently it's a like you turn up to a training session on a Tuesday night and you and you train really good that day. So like, why do you have to change so much compared to that? Like freshen up a little bit, but go in like with the same mentality of like, all right, let's just go and get the job done, do what's required yeah. um, instead of building all this extra pressure on it. Yeah, and I guess it's easier said than done on the biggest stage. Oh, definitely, the world, definitely but, it um, is, yeah. The sentiment's spot on, spot on. Yeah. Mate, tell me about the process of moving from, uh, you know, a 5K specialist to the marathon. Do you, do you feel like it's just like an age-based progression that everyone goes through or is there something about you as a runner that makes you better suited to the longer stuff? Um, I think for me, I was always naturally really good at long runs and at threshold. Uh, like I could just do that and, and, and kind of, and also a high, like a big load, like weak, weak load in mileage. I could, I could just handle that really well. Um, so it, it, yeah, from a young age, even when I was running like good five Ks, I still wanted to go and, and, and do marathons. Um, but I just obviously 
it's hard. Like you get a few injuries. Like, all right, I can't really jump now. Like you kind of have to wait to get that consistent training in my legs before I could. But um, yeah, for me, I think it was just that ability to run marathon, uh, sorry, threshold pace for a long amount of time and, and not take too much out of me. I think that was a big uh, factor. Okay. And, and so it wasn't a massive jump in mileage or a great change in training routine from five tens to not, not really. I was always running like 160 or so. Okay. And then, um, yeah, when, when I started doing mar- like in the marathon block, like I was definitely pushing the 180 to 200 Ks, mm-hmm. but, um, but week in week out, it was kind of like when I'm not in marathon training, I still run 160, 170 now. So it's just kind of, that's just my kind of base. So yeah, it's just, and then the block is just a bit more specific, but the, uh, the only thing that really changes is I do a longer, long run. And I do a longer um, session on like a Friday, mm-hmm. which gets up extra like 20 K, but it's not, not that much changing during my week. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. That's good. And, and I guess like soon after that, that transition, you, you did have some injuries, some femoral stress reaction and stress fracture. I think it's 2017. Was there anything obvious to you in terms of sort of low diet stress, et cetera, that you can attribute to, to those issues? Yeah, I think definitely the one in 2017 was because I was just too skinny. Mm-hmm. I like, I, um, I like not, I wasn't purposely trying to like be skinny, but I just, I was um, like, I'm naturally like pretty skinny pretty lean but i think at that time i was trying to eat really clean and stuff like that and then i was just running a lot and i i just think i just wasn't fueling my body enough i didn't really take it seriously enough um just a bit more i was just naive and didn't really know on, on how to how to really fuel my body um but yeah i was just yeah i think that that's just the main reason why I broke down. I think a lot of, I reckon a lot of my injuries, a lot of people's injuries could be, that could be a very main reason. Um, yeah. Just under fueling, especially because you're asking so much of your body. Yeah. No, I've got, I've got no doubt if it doesn't have the reserves for, uh, you know, what it needs to do, it's going to start breaking the body down. So exactly. Yeah. I'm sure. That's the case. And, and, and what's the difference, I guess, in terms of weight between then and now, how, how many kilos different is it um yeah i'd say i'm probably like maybe two two or three kilos heavier than then um yeah i would say 2017 2016 was probably when i was like my skinniest um or leanest and yeah now i'm just like my diet like is pretty good but like i just am like i eat so high carb now um just it pretty much if it's yeah has carbs in it i'm eating it um and and like that has to, to and i think when you do a marathon training you, you have to get so much food in that i'm not always eating the best food like i'm definitely eating sugary foods and because it is just like my my, my meals always very good but then in between that i'm just getting like kind calories and carbs in as much as i can yeah well it's just a fuel in fuel out scenario so yeah you know, yeah, and I'm just like I'm training yeah. twice a day, so I'm just like burning through it. So you just need to be getting stuff in as, as quick as possible. Yeah, it's good. We speak to quite a few female athletes about that sort of deficiency in in their diet. I guess do you, do you think it's as big a deal in in the blokes as it is in, in the female runners? Yeah, um, I, I don't don't know if it's as big a deal, but it's definitely a big deal. I think there's people that don't understand how. Um, yeah how they need to fuel their body and like i think people always go the the clean eating high protein kind of uh way but they're forgetting about the main fuel source that we use as distance runners which is carbs so um 
Yeah, I think a lot of, I, I, knew, I know I started, when I started eating more carbs, I just started feeling so much better and, mm. and just recovering better. And like, I don't, I don't really have protein that often after training and stuff. Like I'm just way more about carbs and I feel how I recover better now. So yeah, it's good. That's good. I remember hearing Dick Telford going about someone was trying to convince him that a low carb, high fat approach was the right move. And he just, yeah. he just shook his head and laughed at him. It was yeah, just better, no better way to hamstring a, a runner than to take carbs away from. Him. Exactly. Yeah. It just makes no sense when that's your main kind of fuel source that you're going to use it's when you're running. So pretty yeah. simple stuff. Mate, how long did it take you to, I guess, regain trust in your body after that femoral stress fracture? Yeah, to be honest, that was a pretty bad one. I um, it happened at a bad time as well, where I was kind of getting ready for world cross country, and I tried to like, I was kind of I tried to run through it pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was kind of a little bit in denial about how injured I was, and I just made it yeah even worse. So it took a few months to really um, heal, and yeah, just getting back into that into running, and, and then I kept having these like little other niggles in my hips um that would just like because things weren't pro- properly ro- working right the strength wasn't there so it did like it was kind of like on and off two years of, of being mm. kind of a rough time of um yeah so but then probably 2018 and the 2018 i started or middle of 2018 started to run good again and and be pretty confident that mm. i kind of had worked out what what i needed to do and like getting a lot of glute strength in was like one of the big keys in that yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a long time to be in the wilderness state for. That's uh, very frustrating. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it was just the frustrating thing was I kind of I'd start running well again and get a little bit of hope that I was kind of back, and then yeah, just another niggle would would like jump back in my hips, and it was just yeah, kind of that same pattern. Yeah, that's that's punishing, mate. I've I've heard you talking about one of your big tips for marathon runners is listening to the body and taking rest where necessary. Do you think you're better at that these days? Yeah, definitely. I think um, it is like I, I still get caught up in uh, like yeah, with what's kind of on paper or what I think I should be doing, and I think like Strava is like a, a terrible thing for that because it kind of holds you accountable when it when it shouldn't be. But um, there is definitely yeah, definitely if I if I feel like I need to have a, a rest, like an evening off or or take an easy day or something like that, I'll do it now because um, yeah, and I like it's going into heavy into a training session with heavy legs isn't always the best thing. Like sometimes you need to do that, but sometimes like it's just good to be fresh and actually running well and, and feeling good. Um, and the confidence you can take out of that is also the extra benefit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I like that. That's good. Don't always have to be tired. Um, I've actually heard a couple of runners talk about you being a bit of a guru at spending time between sessions and, and being really good at sitting in the cafe and just doing the time before the next session. Is this something yeah. you learned from Collis in the early days? Yeah, definitely. I got that from Collis. Like we, we would honestly spend like three or four hours just sitting at the cafe, just like doing nothing and just like talking and just hanging out really. Um, yeah, but like I think that's one of the, like it's obviously when you're a professional athlete, you have a lot of spare time on your hands. Um, but it's one of the kind of things you need to do is just relax. Like I yeah, usually run, will eat and just kind of hang out with whoever I'm around or just, yeah, like watch TV lie down have like a naps some days and stuff as well so it's really just about recovering for the next session it's a great talent to have i love it it's good yeah yeah it's good switching the brain off that's impressive 
Well, okay, we'll, we'll move on past injury time. We'll move to April 2019 where you've run 210 over in London Marathon. It's the fastest time for an Aussie in like 12 years or something. Um, I believe you didn't wear a watch for this race, mate. No, I didn't. I, um, yeah, I, I had tried to run another marathon um, a few months earlier, like in December in Japan. And I just was like running with this pacemaker. And if they were like a second slow, I would be looking at my watch and being like getting frustrated and trying to go past and trying to push the pace. And I just was never, ever relaxed. I was just wasting so much mental energy. And so I was like coming into London. I'm like, no, nah, right, I'm not going to wear a watch here. I just want to run with people who I think, I think I was getting away from uh, like what a race is as well. Like I wasn't getting in a race. I was just worrying about what my watch said. So I was like, all right, I want, I've got to find some athletes who I think I can be around in, in this race. Um, and I knew kind of what pace that they'd be going. And then I'm like, all right, let's just get in there, race them. So um, I did that and I'm glad I didn't because if I saw my split through 5K and 10K, I probably would have freaked out because like, we're on like 204 pace through 5k. And I was like, if I, if I looked on a watch, I would have gone, Jesus, this way is equal. I'm going to blow up. But because I didn't know, I was just running with the pace. I'm like, just more concerning on how I'm feeling. And just, yeah, I was just literally trying to switch off. Like every time we go past the clock, I would just like not look at it. Yeah. I just look straight down the road. And um, yeah. And like we, we did go on a pretty hard pace, but I think it's a good way to do it. I think in when I run London this year, I might wear my watch, but I am going to try to not, I might just have it on a screen where I can't actually see mm-hmm. any information. I, I wore it on the weekend when I ran the half marathon and I just didn't look at it until like 15 K. And, uh, but the thing was, as soon as I started looking at it, I was looking at it every like K. Mm-hmm. Then it's just like, once you get that information, cause then you're like, all right, you got, you start comparing where, when you don't know it, you just can't got nothing to compare to. So yep. it's good to just kind of take it out of the mind and just actually be in the race. And look, how, how good is your internal clock anyway? Like if, if you want to set yourself at 3.15s, can you pretty much go close to that anyway? Yeah, yeah. I would definitely um, be able to do it pretty good. And I think that's the most important thing. It's like, if, yeah, if you want to, if I want to run whatever pace and my watch is saying I'm running two seconds slow, but I feel like hmm. it's the right pace, like what am I supposed to do? Go faster and which is the effort's too high now or am I, should I be running to what I feel? So I think that's the best thing. And, and like the thing is as well, like I, there will be pacemakers. So I'll kind of know what pace we should be running. But I think the best thing to do is just let them run the pace hmm. and I can just switch off and just, because once it gets the end hard, the like second part of the race, like that's when it really matters and, and you're really going to have to dig deep. So I don't think there's any point worrying in that first half. No, that's great. I mean, there's so much energy used by that brain. Like it's a sugar-hungry machine. So exactly. you don't want to burn any more than you have to, that's for sure. Yeah, I literally just try to distract myself as much as possible and just like switch off and mm. kind of go to a different place mentally so I can yep. um, just, yeah, get through it. And it's like two hours is a long time to try to concentrate for too. Mate, try to do it in three hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mate, I believe you didn't take any fluid on from about 20k mark during that uh, London marathon either. Was was there a problem? Uh, yeah, so I've had this problem where I get uh, I'm still trying to figure it out really, but I get this kind of stitch, um, which now they think is more of a rib irritation. Um, they think maybe possibly I have like a kind of slipping rib syndrome, and it's just kind of through my lack of rotation through through my thoracic. Um, 
but at the time I just assumed that was the first time I really had it. So I just assumed I was getting a, like a stitch from the drinks. Mm. And so I felt like if I started, kept having more drinks, it was going to make the problem worse. So I just didn't really take any on in that second half because mm. it was going to make it worse, but it was yeah very frustrating that race because I ran two ten, but I literally felt like I was jogging or like running at like 80% effort for, for 15 K in it. So, um, yeah, hopefully I'm doing a lot of work now, a lot of mobility stuff to try to get on top of that. So hopefully if I am on top of that, it doesn't happen and I can run the whole hard the whole way and yep. run a big PB. Unreal, mate. It sounds amazing. With the thoracic sort of mobility stuff, are they just trying to take pressure off the diaphragm so it's not working so hard? Is that the process? Um, so I think with with my running pattern, because my direction – I can't rotate to the right too too well. So my spine isn't actually moving to the right as well. And then, so to get that kind of rotation as my arm goes back, I'm doing a bit of a side bend mm-hmm. and, and com- compressing those ribs. Yep. Um, yeah, I went to America and got on a treadmill and they like put all these sensors on me exactly to find out how I run and how I move. Yeah. And that was the kind of big, big thing I found. And one of the other times when I had, the stitch i got an mri like a couple of days later and there was like a lot of inflammation around that kind of rib joint mm-hmm. um but yeah pretty i don't know like it's there's a lot going on there and like i think because like also like you got your like kind of hip flexors which then attach up to that diaphragm as well and mm-hmm. i am i am really tender in that spot as well so it's the hard thing is for me i don't really get it in training because i never that sustained effort like yeah in training because i'm I, I run long in training but i never run at like race pace for 80 minutes no. so and and that's when i get it I usually get it after about 80 minutes so i can't really test it i don't only time i get a test is when i'm literally in a marathon so which is the scariest thing ever so yeah. um hopefully everything i'm doing is is helping and at least i will delay the stitch or it doesn't happen best mm-hmm. case so um yeah we'll we'll see Fingers crossed, mate. Yeah. I, I guess I was um, of the, the wrong understanding that it was kind of yeah, nutrition hydration based, um, but obviously not. So yeah, I, I've heard you describing, I guess, in terms of nutrition, not taking on anything during the half marathon, which is understandable if you're breaking 60 minutes, I guess. But how much do you try to get in for a marathon particularly? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that's the thing, because I used to think it was kind of a nutritional thing, which is kind of makes sense because obviously – a lot of people do have those problems, um, but everything I've cha- tried and changed, it, I still get the exact same problem. Um, even if I don't really have fuel, I still get it. So, uh, and I've done done tests as well to see how my body processes fuel, and there wasn't really anything that suggested this would be why I was getting it. Um, but um, yeah, literally, um, for in a marathon now, I'm trying for between sixty to eighty grams an hour of carbs. Um, and then in the second half, probably a bit less, I'll probably go into more like having a bit, but also just doing more of a mouth rinse and spit it out. Okay. Um, just because I think that that's just working with the uh, nutritionist, Jess Rothwell and, and or dietitian. And she, that was what she, she suggested because it could um, any GI problems that would kind of limit them um if i'm just doing the mouth mouth rinse towards the end especially when you're not not really absorbing quite as much towards the end anyway 
no, there's not a lot of processing that's going to go on at that point. So exactly. So I might as well just put it in my mouth and yeah. spit it out. But you still get that kind of carbohydrate release. Yeah, tricky brain into thinking there's something coming in. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Clever. I like it. Oh mate, we'll move on to um everyone's sort of favorite race. The Unilos One Five Nine in October 2019. Yep. So you you were picked as a team captain. I've got this vision of like high school picking teams for dodgeball and you and Bernard Legata standing <laughs> next to each other going, Stewie, Jakob Ingebrigtsen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that how it worked? Or was it a bit more scientific? Uh, no, I've way more scientific and I had nothing to do with it at all. I was I was locked out of the room and saying, you're not making any decisions. But um, yeah, I, I was just... Um, so because I was training for a marathon, but also so the track season was still on and they had a test event and I could go to that. And I, th- I think that's why I became a, um, a team captain because I had already been there six weeks before, tested the course, tested how the formation would work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of knew what was going on. So when we came to the week of the actual race, um, I could kind of lead people in my team at least. Um, to, yeah to how things would work so but yeah no no uh i had no saying what was going on would you have chosen Stewie anyway um well um, uh, in his position was fine but Stewie's terrible to run behind because his legs are so long so yeah, as long as he was out in the wide that that's fine but um <laughs> i was like geez put because there was spots at the back behind keep i was like yeah i reckon he's better back there as well yeah he looks like he's he got flicks big, his legs around in a weird way he does yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but he's got a big frame so he's good for breaking wind but mm-hmm. um yeah he's just you don't want to get clipped by stewie though he's got about size 24 feet as well does he really <laughs> uh funny but we, we've spoken to a number of um yeah the aussie distance women and, and and we sort of talk about this golden age of distance running for the girls but there is a super strong pack of blokes out there smashing records too. Is it, how inspirational, how much inspiration do you get from blokes like Stewie and Jack Rayner, et cetera? Oh, yeah, heaps. Like, I guess training with them as well always gives the whole group confidence um, that we're doing the right things. And, and I think when, like, yeah, when, when people start running well, it brings others up to run well as well. So, um, yeah, just seeing, like, training with Stewie and Jack, like, yeah they, when they're going great like they're absolutely fine you know they're going to run well and there's just like a, a confidence around the group so um yeah it's, it's really good hmm. and, and are you sort of picking and choosing who breaks which australian record at the moment yeah i'm trying to stop them from running half marathons because i don't want them to take my record but <laughs> <laughs> i've got i've got no other option i can't there's no way i can take the 1500 meter record but um yeah, it's uh, yeah. Got, there's a few got a few Australian records at the moment, so um, Shui I reckon can get that 5k pretty soon, and mm. hopefully I can get the marathon record pretty soon, which would be good. But kind of yeah, own the whole record books, which would be nice. Might be amazing, amazing. We'll talk about that half marathon record now, I guess. So the only Australian to ever break 60 minutes for half marathon. How, how does it feel to you when everything clicks like that? Do you remember hitting that real flow state that athletes sort of strive for? Yeah, definitely. Um, because, yeah, going into that, I'd never really run a good half. Like I'd run a few that were good, but never really, if I ever tried to run fast, I just wasn't really running that well. I would kind of blow up or, or not really understand it. So going into that, I was pretty like all right, I have to be a little bit conservative here. So just same as what I was kind of talking about with London, just like switching off and and I just kind of ran in the pack and I didn't really worry about the pace. I was like, let's just get into a race. And um, 
yeah, I was just kind of like feeling good and just got like taken off the Ks. And I remember getting to, it was about 14K and going and looking and going, oh yeah, only uh, 20 minutes to go. And I was just like, some, sometimes when you get into a race and you think, oh, 20 minutes to go, shit, like, that's a long time. Where this time I was like, oh, only 20 minutes. Yeah. I was like, okay, I know I'm on for a good time here. Like I know I'm, on, I'm having a good race here if I, if I feel like that right now, I like physically and mentally. So um, yeah, and then I just, yeah, got to the 3K to go. And I, for some reason, I felt like we're turning this corner. I was going to have a tailwind. I'm like, all right, I think now's a good time to um, turn the corner, like kind of make a move and, and try to break everyone. And I turned the corner and was straight into a headwind. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> like, here we go here. But I was like already committed. So I was like, oh, I just got to keep going. And it was funny. It's the first time in a race where I was like, like usually like in my head, I'm like, oh, like go on, come on, Brett. And I was like literally saying it out loud like kind of like yelling at myself to like keep running, which it was like, it was so strange. Like after I was like, what the hell was that? Like, I was just, don't know what was going on, but I, yeah, it's just kind of one of those days where everything was just feeling good. I was running, running good and running fast, moving well. And yeah, that record came somehow. That's amazing. <laughs> and uh, I'm assuming there's a few expletives towards the end. Come on, Brett. Yep. Such and such. Oh yeah. There definitely, definitely was. <laughs> <laughs> It's unreal. They must have looked looked at you like you were going bananas. <laughs> yeah, l- luckily it was in Japan, so I probably didn't understand what I was saying. But um, yeah. if it was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah mad, mad men running down the street just yelling at himself. <laughs> they love that in Japan. Big. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mate, how frustrating was it to be in that sort of form and then sort of go bang straight into COVID lockdown? Yeah, de- um, yeah, kind of frustrating. Definitely, um, I thought it was having a good. Uh, good lead up in, into the Olympic marathon. But at the same time, I was, I kind of knew that I hadn't really been able to nail the marathon yet. I knew I was still having these troubles with the stitches. So I thought, all right, at least this gives me an extra year mm-hmm. to kind of train for the marathon extra year of training. And I thought in a year, I'm going to be better. So um, I knew I was in good half marathon shape, but I, yeah, I still wanted to get better at the marathon. So I, I definitely saw some positives in it. Um, and I think a lot of people did as well. Like I know like Stewie, he was a completely different athlete a year later. So, um, uh, yeah, you can either go two ways because you can always find a positive out of it. So, um, yeah, but yeah, got to Olympics, still had the problem, unfortunately, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess doing that sort of time, like running sub 60, I mean, yeah, you hear different sort of ways people uh, extrapolate these things, but I've heard a lot of times you double your half marathon time and add seven minutes to it. So we're coming in 206, something or other. Is that the kind of time you feel is, is in there somewhere? Yeah, I, I, I do think a 206, 207 um, is one day within my reach. Um, but when, yeah, when I look at that Marigami half, it, it was the perfect day. Everything went well. Um, the marathon, it's a lot, it's double the distance. So it's a little bit longer for things to go wrong or to have a rough patch and stuff like that. Um, I think with me as well, because I'm coming from that shorter background, like I'm always going to be a little bit better at the half marathon um, until, until I get more training in me and become good at the marathon. But I know like running the other day at Gold Coast, I ran 63, 20 or something. And I, and it felt really easy. Like it, it felt like I'm kind of close to marathon pace. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think between a 206 or 208 is, is definitely within my reach one day. 
Uh, it's exciting. How, how do you go, like Gold Coast, say running 63 at you know marathon pace, we'll call it. Are, are you good at holding yourself back in that respect or do you get a bit of white line fever and, and want to push? Uh, yeah, it's funny because I go into it going, all right, I want to just like, uh, because I had a few races and I was training a fair bit, I, like, I just want to go in these races, get the win, like conserve energy as much as possible. I, I, last thing I wanted to do was like smash the race and then be like stuffed in training for a week. So, uh, but then I get into the race and I'm like, oh, should I should just see like how fast I can run this second 10K or something like that. And then I'll like kind of think about like, no, no, just hold back, hold back. So it is, it is always, especially when you're feeling good, you kind of like want to see what, what you can do and what, what you can show because even, yeah, like I run 63 minutes and then I'll read an article about me. It's like, yeah, Brett won in 63, which is three minutes off his PB. You're like, yeah, like it's not, I wasn't trying to run PB today. So it's, it is funny like that, but um, yeah, I, it is, it is hard not to smash yourself in every single race, especially when you're feeling good. Do you find it hard not to reply to the bloke who writes that article? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. And cause like, I'm just like, oh, I wish you would just ask me about the race and I, and I would tell you because um, obviously I'm not, not trying my hardest or something like that or, yeah. yeah. But, well, you just got to worry about it. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't want to dwell on um, tough times too much, but you certainly had, have had a couple of tough marathons. Um, New York and, and Tokyo Olympics been been a couple of them. Uh, how do you find yourself mentally after those sort of efforts? Do you, do you feel like you can bounce back and get straight into the work? Um, yeah. Uh, well, like it's funny because like New York, I uh, like yeah had a, had a bad race, and then it was three months later when I broke that Australian record mm-hmm. um, in in the half marathon. So I think that's one thing I've always been good at is kind of working out. Like I definitely, we'll think about the race and what happened and if there's something needs to be changed. But then as soon as my body's fine, getting back into training and just whatever the result was good or bad, just getting back into training and, and it's a new day and got a new goal. So um, yeah, I think you always have to be able to do that. And cause you can also do, do the other way when you have a good race and just live off that for a while. And then you get a few years down the track and you haven't had another good race. So um, you just got to re- reset pretty much. Yeah, it's good. It's another good talent to have, mate. And, and look, how, how good was it to come out of all the, the COVID business and, and take the, the home marathon, the Melbourne marathon in 2014? Yeah, well, I guess that's a, another example where I, yeah, like the Olympics I wasn't too happy with. And then I, um, well, yeah, wanted to just find a new goal and, and that was Melbourne. Um, I got, got a bit lucky where it got delayed a few months. So it gave me a bit of extra training. Um, but then I, yeah, I was like, all right, let's just, my goal now is to, is to win this. Um, I had been coming off a little bit of injury as well. So it was kind of a limited prep, but it was, yeah, good to just to kind of knuckle down and, and get into that and, yeah, and win in front of my home crowd and kind of a lot of people, my friends and family that, I, that came out to support me and, and people that I know racing that day. So, yeah, that was like very special. Like, and it's not, not many people get to win marathons either. So, no, mate, especially at home. That's unreal. It's a yeah. big marathon. I want to talk about the, I guess, in general, the marathon after party. So where do you rate yourself on the post-run circuit spectrum? If my grandma having a cup of tea is zero and Kevin Bat with a lampshade on his head is a 10, where do you sit on the spectrum? <laughs> no, I'm definitely close to Batty. Especially after a marathon or something like that. Like, it's the worst thing you can do. Your body's so depleted and then you start drinking beers. Um, yeah, I was, yeah, Batty, Batty stayed at my house after the Melbourne um, 
Melbourne Marathon. So I reckon, yeah, we're both in pretty similar form. Hughie's one that'll lead you astray pretty hard. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's always always up to something, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we should talk about some some Blackmore's Running Festival stuff. So uh, yep. like Jess Denson and uh, Eloise Wellens, you're, you're an ambassador for uh, the, the Sydney Running Festival and it's sort of tilt at world marathon major status. Uh, what, what does the ambassador role sort of mean for you, Brett? Yeah, well, I think for me, like even a little bit selfish-wise, like I want to run in a major myself in Australia. So I think like I would love to push it because then I get the opportunity to run in a major at home, um, which would be so cool. Like I think just because I've been to running London Marathon, running New York Marathon, I've watched Boston Marathon, um, which and the buzz around the city when those marathons are on is just like something you can't beat. And, and like, I don't think we in Australia understand that like when Melbourne Marathon's on, it's like, yeah, it's on, no one really cares that much unless you're in the running community hmm. but when it's a major and the whole city is alive and excited for that so um i would love yeah to be able to be a part of that and and then also like i yeah coach a lot of people that would that they get to experience that as well so i think um it would be a great thing for australian running and for the future of australian running hmm. and, and how do you think we encourage these people to go from you know, only rocking up if they're in the running community to to getting out there because the event is on. Yeah, like I think um, that if it, the bigger it gets, the, the more buzz it's, it's going to get behind it and the more people that are going to uh, support it. And it just becomes a bigger deal. Like you look at the city of surf, it's like a, it's like a big name race that everyone knows about, everyone like you see 80,000 people do it. So more people want to go and do it. If, if the bigger it becomes, the more people that want to go and do it. And it's the same with like London as well. It's like, it's, it's limited now. Like they get more entries than, than they can have run the race. So mm-hmm. you, people just want to be a part of that because it's such a cool thing. And, uh, and that's, I think what the bigger Sydney gets the the more likely it is it'll get to over those 15,000 um, entrance and then yeah in years to come it'll be even bigger and bigger yeah yeah that's exciting and and do you reckon uh it'll be enough to drag some of you southerners over the border up to sydney yeah i reckon um i know like if yeah a few people like oh a bit bit pissed off that it's it's not a melbourne one but i think it doesn't matter like if it's in it it's it just will be like the the australian major it's it's not going to matter that it's uh what, what city it's in if it's in if it's in australia like that, that's just going to be yes so good for i think people come from everywhere for it mm. and, and i think what you do see in places like you know london and new york it it spurs other people to run other marathons as well like if you can't get into london you go and run something else and, and i think the same will happen with this as yeah definitely Australia's like over here over here you look at like manchester marathon which is a similar time to London, but like people do that instead of London and it's, and it's a huge marathon now. So, um, and then like, yeah, in Europe, like, because you've got like Amsterdam marathon, Hamburg marathon, like they're all, they're not majors, but they're huge marathons now. So it's, mm. it does make, it will make just running in general bigger um, because yeah, people might do a major and then go, Oh, I've, yeah, I've done a marathon. Maybe I'll go and do some half marathons too. So now they're getting bigger as well. So yeah. Um, yeah. It would be so great if it gets done. 
I think there will be a flow on effect to Gold Coast and, and Melbourne Marathon yeah. from the side yeah. for sure. Uh, it's, it's exciting. And look, you talk about your, your, your coaching with, with pulse running. How do you find the juggle between coaching and professional running yourself? I think it's good. Like, like I said before, we have so much time to, uh, to kill and to kind of just relax. So doing a little bit of coaching and kind of being involved with, with that side of the sport has been really good and, and rewarding. Like um, Melbourne Marathon's obviously on the same day as, as London Marathon, which is because a lot of our Pulse people are from Melbourne. Um, they, they'll all be running there and it's kind of, uh, it sucks I won't be able to be there and watch them and support them and, and go to the after party with a lampshade on my head but it'll be um it, it is it is cool to see and it also gives me it makes me think about my training a bit as well like sometimes I'm like yeah I'll just smash some training for a little bit I'm like would I ever tell one of my athletes to do that no like I'm like all right let's pull back and just be central here like like I would so it's kind of been good for that but um yeah I love love doing it and just yeah it's so great to see my athletes like achieve their goals as well. So when they put in the work and and that you can see how happy they are after it's, it's, it's very rewarding. Yeah, that's great. And and, and how do you go sort of lining up with some of your mates in coaching roles as well, like Collis and Jack, you're on the same page. Um, Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's been good. Yeah. Starting with them, but and we're all kind of similar. Like we, because we've come through the same kind of training system, like with Nick, like we have a very similar um, coaching method, but I think we all do it a little bit differently just with, yeah, like how we communicate with our athletes and, and how involved we are. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's been good. We, we, now Pulse is like got pretty big now where we have 10 coaches. So it's um, yeah, it's, it's getting bigger and bigger. And um, yeah. And I know we've got like a lot of people, a lot of people running well. We had, I think 50 people run it. Um, Gold Coast Marathon and it was like 40 something when PB. So it's uh, a lot of people out there run, running well. It's unreal. It's, uh, it's good for running in general terms, mate. I think it's yeah. running's moving along well. Mate, are you, are you tempted to go back to the short stuff for the World Cross Country in Bathurst next year? Yeah, um, World Cross Country definitely. Uh, we'll, I'll see, I'll, like, I have to see how my body is after this marathon. I'm actually planning to run another marathon at the end of the year as well. Um, so which would be a very quick turnaround and then it'll be another quick turnaround to the world cross country trials. Mm-hmm. So I'll have to see definitely how my body is, but uh, yeah, world cross is something I, I really like doing. Um, I've come top 30 there three times. So it'd be, and then this one obviously is extra special being at home. So mm-hmm. if, yeah, if my body's fine, I'll definitely want to be a part of that. Okay. And, and is there a bit of an appetite amongst uh, Australia's pro runners to get back and, and run that race? Definitely. I think uh, everyone will be at the trial trying trying to make that team. Okay. And how many spots do we have for Australia? Six. Okay. Yeah. So, but, and you got to think like we've got like, I don't know, we've probably got like six guys that can run close to 2730 over 10K. So it'll be a very strong team. Yeah, do you think you get a couple of boats coming back from the states to have a crack there, Pat Tiernan? I think so. Yeah, I'd say, I'd think Pat, maybe like Kai Robinson or, or someone like that. Um, mm. will definitely come back. We also got the four by two k. I think it's two k mixed relay, mm-hmm. um, which would be like that'd be cool if like Stewie does it and maybe like Ollie Hall. Yeah. Um, and then and then we got probably yeah I don't know Lyndon Hall or or. Jess Hull as well for the women, which would be a pretty uh, pretty good team. It's a very strong team. It's exciting. 
Mate, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely booking my seat up there. It should be amazing. Should yeah, it'd be, be cool. And so, mate, you've got got your own uh, own podcast for the kudos. Been going for a little while yeah. now. Um, just a, a, a kudos-based question to finish off with. Is it important to throw kudos out on Strava like crazy so that everyone feels a little bit special? Or should you save it up for when someone does something proper good? <laughs> um, I think you should throw it out as much as possible because and we actually did talk not about this exactly in the podcast, but like um, I was running in Melbourne before I left. It was like a wintry night and just raining. And then this guy just came off the train. He just said, gave me a thumbs up, said, well done, mate. And like, I was just saying how good that made me feel. And I'm like, people need to do more of that. So I think, yeah, throwing out kudos as much as, uh, as much as you can is definitely, definitely good for, for, for people. I love it. And maybe a bit of face-to-face kudos rather than just behind the screen. Or yeah. Yeah. Face-to-face, but maybe, and then maybe save a comment for a, for a good race or, or something like that. That's the, that's the extra icing on the top. <laughs> I like the process, mate. That's unreal. Well, mate, look, th- thank you so much for your time and and for chucking on the hat as ambassador for, for City Marathon Festival. Um, best of luck for London coming up in a couple of weeks' time. We're all, we're all behind you, mate. And I'm, yeah, imagining a, a big 207 low there just to Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Thank, no, thanks so much. Yeah, hopefully, um, yeah, next year I'll, I'll be able to plan my uh, year a bit better and and be in Sydney when the when the marathon's on. Um, but yeah, looking forward to it, and yeah, hopefully it's a great weekend this weekend. Mate, yeah, it should be a cracker. Should be a cracker. Get behind it, guys. All right, mate. Yeah, thanks definitely. for your time, Brett. Cheers, mate. Thank you. See ya. Yeah.